Welcome back, Bible readers, or should I say good morning, Bible readers. This is the Rooted Podcast, and we are in, I think we're getting close to week 20, um, so getting close to the halfway mark um, of our Bible reading plan. It is uh, the month of May, and uh, the warmer weather's out there, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, this week, we start a new study in the book of Joshua. Um, so that's where we'll be for the next three weeks um, until we get to June, and then June we'll start another one-week special reading on uh, something related to the life of Christ, uh, to His ministry. Uh, but for the next three weeks, we'll be talking about the book of Joshua. That's kind of where our focus will be. And so um, just to kind of start with, I wanted to give just a few things um, just to kind of remember as you read through the book of Joshua, um, just a couple of key thoughts uh, just to keep in mind. The first thing is that Joshua covers a period of 30 years. Okay, but the main emphasis is those first seven years of the conquest. It's kind of the main emphasis, but we're talking about a 30-year period. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Another thing is that um, the sovereignty of God over all the nations. Obviously, God is in control of all things. That includes all nations, and we see how that works out. Um, in the book of Joshua. Um, Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, I feel is the key verse to the entire book. And uh, so I'm not going to read that. I'm going to let you guys out there go read that. It could be Joshua 1.8 as well. We'll talk today about that. But I think Joshua 11.23 is kind of the key verse that kind of explains the book. And then also um, a good atlas might help you. Um, as you study through and as you figure out kind of which direction Joshua's going, where he's going, a good atlas might help you. And then one last thing as we get started, I have found a, a quote, a really good quote from Philip Keller. And Philip Keller um, written a few good books, um, Lessons from a Sheepdog, uh, the 23rd Psalm, really good practical books. And he says this about Joshua. He says, he has, talking about Joshua, seldom been given the full credit he deserves as perhaps the greatest man of faith to set foot on the stage of human history. In fact, his entire brilliant career was a straightforward story of simply setting down one foot after another in quiet compliance with God's commands. And I think that's so, so important, especially in a culture that's screaming to say, notice me, notice me, notice me. Here's Joshua who simply obeys what God says, does it quietly, does it every single day, doesn't complain. Of course, he's human like us. He has struggles and, and fears and things like that, but he simply does it all in quiet compliance. So anyway, as, as we get started today, we're going to talk through Joshua chapter 1 um, through about halfway through chapter 7. We'll see how far we get with the time that we have, but let's, let's start talking about this book. So obviously, Tim, Joshua chapter 1 is a foundational chapter. Yep. It's, it's a, a big deal. Place of a great transition. We see transition of, of leadership, and Moses dies, and um, the servant of Moses, Joshua, comes on the scene. And I love verse number five. It's a specific promise that God gave to, to Joshua. He says, no, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you, and I will I will not leave you or forsake you. You know, be strong and of good courage. And those yeah. those are good encouraging words, especially when you're having to follow a man like Moses. I can't imagine having to follow him. And, and we know that Joshua kind of was already in leadership position um, as I think the military commander, more or less. He shows earlier up in um, well, right after really right after yeah. the uh, they start leaving Egypt. Uh, 
before in the yeah, wilderness. He was always with Moses as yeah. his servant, yeah. serving him. Yeah. And I, I like verse number one or verse number two. It, it calls him Moses' assistant. I think yeah. the old King James says his servant. servant. Yeah, mine says know? Moses, my servant, yeah. is dead. And, of course, we know that the nation of Israel mourned uh, Moses for 30 days. And uh, then after those 30 days, God said, okay, it's enough of mourning of Moses. It's time, Joshua, you step up and uh, to take the reins of this. And uh, But one of the key verses in chapter 1 that people a lot of times go to is that verse 8 about meditating on God's law. And it's a great promise. And, of course, um, uh, my translation here in verse 8 um, of NLT says, Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. And, of course, um, you know, as... Joshua's writing this, of course, we know that the whole of the Old Testament hasn't been written yet, and he's talking about the law that God had already given. But there's a good application for us today because we have the completed Word of God in our benefit, and we are to study it, and we are to meditate on it. And, and we hear a lot about meditation and how important that is, especially, again, in our world when we're being constantly barraged with sound and noise, and we sometimes struggle getting in quiet places so that we can hear God's voice. And uh, so meditation is not so much as cleaning your mind out, as your Eastern mysticals would say. It's more or less filling your mind constantly yeah. with God's Word, yeah. thinking about it all. It's like when you're ready thinking to preach a sermon, it, yeah. you know, you're constantly thinking about it. Pondering. Pondering, like <laughs> Mary did. Um, and that's an important, an important verse. Um, in chapter 1. Uh, listen to the New King James. Okay. It says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And then Pastor Jeremy read from the NLT, which yeah. is really more clear. I mean, when you stop and think about it, yeah. the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. What, what does that mean? <laughs> and, so, yeah. you know, and it says, mine says, study this book of instruction continually. So it's that continual. Yeah, that's, it's it gets clear. the essence of it. Now, sometimes it may not uh, get it, but I think in this, it helps. And of course, that's why you can read different translations because that definitely Absolutely. helps. Absolutely. That's super important yeah, to read yeah. different translations. And, and I would often do that. If you were reading in a translation and you just don't understand what the verse says, get out another translation and see if they might help clarify it a little bit better exactly. before you go digging into a commentary or exactly. a dictionary of some kind. Because um, sometimes people just associate. Uh, uh, or can understand it better because again, different translations are written for different audiences and uh, written to flow better. Some are more choppy than others, but nonetheless, we this is not a discussion about translations. But <laughs> we could do something like that um, if our time permitted. It would be a long time though. So we've got chapter one here, um, kind of before going into the land. Joshua reminds these two and a half tribes. Remember these two and a half tribes that uh, Moses promised and said. You don't have to go into the land if you don't want to, but you have to help us conquer the land. You can live outside the land. And, and I've always thought that was a strange request. Why wouldn't you want to go in the land that God has promised to you? And, he was, and you talk about everything that God provided for you is in that land and how God promised to bless that land physically. Even today, that land is blessed physically. Yeah. And yet they Absolutely. still are content to say, you know what, we want to live outside. And there is a reason for it. I think it's because they needed more pasture lands for their... They were a large tribe. Yep. Uh, uh, what was it? 
Reuben, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Half the tribe yeah, of yeah. Manasseh, so yeah. two and a half tribes. Yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of they needed some lot of space, you know, to 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 grow and to. So they decided to go stay outside the land. And uh, I've read a lot of guys that criticized them, didn't want to go inside the land and take what God had promised and and what they could have had. But nonetheless, it's just a um, a reminder that you have uh, some types of people, we might say, or some groups of people that. Uh, would rather not live up to their full potential yep. um, True. In, in Christ. And so they're given a reminder, you got to come help us win the battle of the conquest, then you can leave and go back out right. um, to the land. But of course, Joshua here, um, not just, um, he's being a good military leader, um, not that he doesn't have faith. And I said, some people question what Joshua does here in chapter 2, sending out spies. They say, well, if God promised you to He's going to give you the land. Why are you sending out spies? Isn't that a, a um, lack of faith? And no, he's just being a good military leader here and doing what he knows is best. And sometimes I feel like um, we need to do that as well. We need to do and, and follow through and obey Scripture as best we can with what we know is best, and then God will redirect um, in those situations. And I find it interesting, the one thing that I find it interesting about this this time, because remember last time they sent out spies, right? And, <laughs> and it was... It was didn't it, wasn't there 10? Yeah, or 12 total. 10, 12, and they yeah. were sent, sent And it two. was a big debacle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so this time, Joshua, uh, you know, he, he's a little smarter. And he sends out the spies secretly this time. And it's very specific, as so as to avoid another Kadesh Barnea incident, Okay. And the idea here is that he's not trying to hide anything, but the idea is that reports should be brought back to leaders, not just the general mob or public like it was done in the other one. Because you remember in the other Kadesh Barnea incident, they came back and they just, everybody gathered around and they just blurted out their whole report. And they discouraged the people. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so Joshua Smart, he says, I'm going to send these out guys secretly on a reconnaissance mission. They come back and report to me, and then I will tell the people. Because you can be easily discouraged. I mean... Man, if I'm thinking in my brain, if um, the average person knew what we as ministers and pastors have to deal with, with what people say, with how they act sometimes, they would get really easily discouraged. <laughs> it almost as if like Joshua acted like a filter for the people, much like God has entrusted us to be that filter, we might say, for some of the things for people. That doesn't mean everything. I mean, obviously, we're all accountable to God for our actions. Um, but I just think it's interesting in this case, he just was kind of um, careful about it. I think he's learned. I think he's grown as a leader, um, and he's learned. He also doesn't want to wander for 40 years in the land like he did last time in the wilderness for 40 years. What else here about chapter 2 um, do we need to Well, you, you, you have the magnificent story of Jericho. And, yeah. And when they, they go and view the land, they, they specifically focus on, on Jericho. Yeah. And and then of course we we love the story of Rahab and I love her confession of faith. When yeah. when you read this these short verses uh, from verses eight to eleven, it is specifically a confession of, of faith. L- listen to what she says. She says, "Now before they lay down, and she came on the, the roof and she said to the men, here's her confession. I know that the Lord has given you the land.'" 
that the ter- terror has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the <laughs> yes. Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to those two kings, the Amorites who were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom yeah. you utterly destroyed. Yeah. And as soon as we heard it, these our hearts melted. And she goes on and she says, as she makes her confession, um, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And so uh, she, she's making a, a public confession. I know, because a lot of times we, um, and I think that's the key to understanding Rahab's story, because a lot of times uh, I hear people asking questions, well, you know, she lied about the spies, and, and but there's nowhere in the Scripture where it justifies her. I mean, even the New Testament authors, when they talk about Rahab, they get the point of the story, right. which is her confession of right. faith, like you said, right. is the point of the story. That's what needs to be focused on, not not what she did or did not do. Um, I mean, and and Rahab here, you know, and I think it's interesting that the story is about the wall, you know, in chapter 6 when Jericho falls, it's the wall, it's the focus, and of course Rahab lives on the wall, you know, that's where her house is, so it makes it easier for the spies to get in and to leave town. Um, and then for the fact that um, in the house of a harlot, uh, strange men wouldn't be something unusual to find. So there's a reason why they go to her house, and, and she's already said this, so how many other people in the town of Jericho are already thinking the same thing as as Rahab is yes. of the people of Israel and they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. Um, and they knew of what God did to the Red Sea and how God parted that. So they were kind of probably waiting. The day's coming when they're coming for us in our city, so we got to get prepared. Um, and I wonder how they feel after, well, in chapter well, You three. could imagine just watching them go around the city, you know, how that was a, a threat. They didn't say a single word each day. They just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, and I mean, I mean, when they, uh, and in chapter three, when they crossed the Jordan river, uh, I'm sure word got to Jericho as well about that situation. And uh, uh, that's a really good um, um, narrative as well. Uh, very, very specific about what they were supposed to do. Um, again, I think, what they were supposed to in chapter three, very specific, following every step of the way in obedience to God. They do the same thing in chapter six. It's very careful to obey exactly what God says, even though it might yeah. sound strange or very methodical. Yeah. Look strange. <laughs> very strategic plan, just laid out word for word instruction of how to do it every day. Uh, it's detailed, isn't it? <laughs> and yet the Bible gives us detailed instructions about how to act and live. Yeah. And we still struggle with following those instructions. That's very true. Very true. <laughs> so for the Jordan River, when they crossed it in uh, chapter 3, and I think into a little bit of chapter 4 is the crossing here, uh, we're told they're supposed to collect two piles of 12 memorial stones. And so while the river is parted, they place a monument of stones in the middle of the river so that when the river is it goes back to regular level because it had been, you know, God had parted it. Yeah, parted it. Um, there would be evidence in the middle of the river, which nobody would ever see anyway. <laughs> I always wonder why that was the case, right? <laughs> maybe the river, I thought about this, maybe at certain times the river would um, recede during dry seasons and you could maybe see a little bit yeah. of those. I wonder if those things are still yeah. in the river today. Somebody's probably come and moved them. Yeah. And then you had the other set of stones, which was out uh, 
right around Gilgal, I think, is yes. where they were supposed to. Yes. So uh, the point of it is the memorial stones were there to remind the people of what God did, but it's a double reminder. It's double proof of God's miracle. It's the proof, the miracle in the in the water, and then the uh, the stones there by Gilgal. Of course, the stones were also to help parents and uh, not to stone your kids, <laughs> but the stones were there so that when the kids would see it or when someone else would see the stones, the Israelite, the Jewish person could say, hey, have you heard the story about how God provided for us in the Jordan River crossing? It was a great means of helping to explain what God had done in their life. And that's why it's important to a lot of people like to journal and like to write down, especially when God answers a prayer request or God does something in your life, to write it down so that you, like a Jew, can go back and read and say, man, this last year God has answered so many of my requests. God has blessed me in so many different ways. But we wouldn't know that if we didn't write it down. And, and obviously they couldn't write it down um, at this time. They were still using some clay tablets and stuff to write things. Stone, like Moses had the two tablets of stone. So, But the monument here would have told them, you know, this is what God did. This is what God did. And it's kind of like a, a spiritual marker. That's you a know, good way of putting it, yeah. The scripture says, you know, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, you know, what do these stones mean? And yeah. so these spiritual markers in your life or special times in your life where God does some really incredible things. Mm. And certainly as Israel crossed over Jordan and they see the Lord drop the waters of Jordan, this was certainly a miraculous thing. And it yeah. was a spiritual marker for them to remember. God wants us to remember yeah. some of the great things that happen into our life. I, I know God answered a specific prayer for me three or four years ago. And I, I wrote it down on my prayer sheet and just because I want to thank God every day for answering that prayer, it's a spiritual marker. Yeah. And I'm still thanking him for answering that prayer. Yeah. And so God wants us to, to remember. And, and that purpose was because we learned later on, after the book of Joshua was finished, the generation here forgets to notify yep. the next generation of the spiritual markers. Exactly. Forgets to pass on and say, look what God did. Do you remember? God did this. God did this. So that was a memorial for them so they could go back and look and say, look what God did in our generation. So you need to also have a spiritual marker in your generation to pass the faith along. And so that was True. to help the parents, to kind of get them started, to say, exactly. hey, remember. And, and man, I feel like the more I preach and teach, the more just reminding people of what God already said. Yes. We use that word so much to remind, to remind, to the and I had to remind myself so many times. And thankfully, we have the Word of God; we can go back and read it. But can you imagine if we didn't have it? If we were living in a New Testament time when the we didn't have the New Testament, and you just had just to, yeah. you know, go by word of mouth and yeah. to memorize things, man, that would be very, very difficult. Very tough. Um, yeah. So there's a double proof there of God's miracle. He wanted to make sure that they knew, both in the water and out of the water, and of course at Gilgal. Um, and then chapter 5, right before, and, and chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 are kind of preparation events before they actually cross over and get into the land and start going against the land or the city of Jericho. There's a couple of things that have to happen. Actually, chapter 5 lists three things that have to happen. The first thing was circumcision, which was not done in the wilderness. So for 40 years, they didn't practice this. So uh, they had to make sure that they were doing what the covenant required. The second thing is that they celebrated the Passover for the first time. And uh, we're also told that at that time, manna stops. The manna ceases. 
So for 40 years in the wilderness, you're eating the same thing every day. <laughs> you know, it's funny, and maybe, I don't know if he'll, he, he, he would ever watch this, but my son Luke, he likes the same thing in his lunch every <laughs> single day. I'm like, don't you ever get tired of that? Don't you want to change? Like I'm asking him every couple of days, you know, don't you want to change that and do a little bit different? I'm sure some of you parents out there are thinking, nope, my kid's the same way. Is it every... chicken nuggets? <laughs> no. <laughs> It used to be. He still loves the chicken nuggets. Man, every day the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. I mean, I guess it's true with us. I mean, I drink coffee every day, the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And this is a spiritual marker, too. Think about it. For 40 years, God provided manna form every day. The New Testament calls it bread from heaven. Yeah. And it links it to the person of Christ. But, you know, God provided that food for them for 40 years. And so that's a marker to remind us to always be thankful and be grateful and always remember because you're, you're exactly right. Our minds are dull. We, we mm-hmm. forget. Mm-hmm. And we are an ungrateful people as we see the Israelites were an ungrateful people. Yeah. It's a reflection of us. So. Yeah, I think it doesn't Hebrew say yeah. chastise us for being dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. I think. Yes. I think is what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third thing that happens in chapter five is Joshua meets the real commander of the Lord's army, um, which is uh, the angel of the Lord here. And it's that that situation with Joshua is very similar to Moses and his experience with the burning bush. Same thing happens. God appears, shows himself powerful to Moses in the same way here. God appears, shows himself powerful to Joshua saying, I'm here. I'm going to help you in this big task. Just like he appeared to Moses as Moses, I'll be with you when you go get the people out of Egypt. The angel of the Lord appears and says, I'll be with you, Joshua, as you go and you conquer the land. Um, and so they get into the land, and of course, we've talked about this already, hinted at it. Jericho is the first um, city that they have to conquer. So chapter 6 through chapter 12 is kind of focused more on conquering the land. That's that's the point. Um, and this is the condensed version. And um, in the next couple of podcasts, I will show you what I mean by the condensed version because it doesn't really give you every last little minute detail. Um, at times it does. Uh, but at other times, it kind of summarizes. Just like the book of Acts, when we came out of that, there were some summary statements showing the success and progress of the gospel. Didn't tell you everything that happened, and every person didn't have a, a list, you know, like we would keep of all the salvations and all the baptisms. It just said the gospel progressed. In the same way, there's, this is rather a condensed version. It lasted five to seven years. But as you read through chapters 6 through 12, um, you have to follow Joshua's strategy. And it's a strategy that military leaders today still use. It's a strategy of divide and conquer, and we use that terminology a lot. So you go into the, what Joshua does is he goes into the central part of the land first, cuts it off the north from the south, and Jericho's in the central, okay? And then he focuses south, and then he goes back north. So the first thing is to go right into the middle of the land, right there with Gilgal and then Jericho and just cut off the north from the south so they can't come together yep. and have a coalition that try to come against Pretty Joshua. Good strategy. Yeah. And it's a strategy that military leaders you today. I mean, you cut off, you go through the middle, cut off the supply lines, they'll call it. Yep. Cut off the north from the south. And Jericho was the big city here that was right in the middle of of oh the center of the land. If they could capture Jericho, they could kind of set yeah, things up right. from there. 
And of course, you know, this is the unusual strategy in, in, in Joshua chapter six, when they go against Jericho of many, I was teasing Tim and we're not going to do this, but there's little kid songs about the walls of Jericho falling down <laughs> and stuff like that. But we're not going to, we're not going to sing not that song. We're not going to sing today for you <laughs> for that song. But you know, this is a story that's told by historical account, I should say that, um, I mean, I think every person in church has heard this in Sunday school or in kids' church, you know, going around the city six yeah. times and then, you know, not saying anything. And then yeah. seven times, seventh city, or, or on the seventh day, seven times they go around, yeah. you know, as well. And uh, I think that's interesting. But what, um, what I was thinking about earlier today is that, you know, it just, just kind of hit me. You know, uh, for the Jew, and up until this point, they were to practice these things when they get in the land, uh, you know, the Sabbath day. And so I was thinking to myself, huh, they go through around the city six times, would be six normal days, but it's the Sabbath day. Hmm. They actually go around the city seven times, and they actually, at least, that's what it looks like it is, the Sabbath day. They go around. So I think that was kind of interesting as I was thinking through this, but... Again, it goes back to what you were talking earlier about very methodical, very specific very methodical. obedience about what you're supposed to do, how the ark of the Lord goes first, yes. the priests follow. Yes. It must have been really, really quiet. The Levites, Think how eerie the priests, that would have been. And, they, you know, God told them not to say anything. I know, that's what I mean, how eerie that would have They been didn't talk quiet. trash. You know, to the people of Jericho. Yeah, yeah. yeah what, they what would you think the Jericho people were thinking as they saw those people walking, yeah. and they're in silence? They're you know? waiting for it. Who are these crazy yeah. Israelites? Yeah. You know, they're quiet. Yeah. Because you have, and who knows how long it took yeah. to for those around. to walk around? Yeah. I mean, you might have what, maybe two or three million yeah. people at this time. <laughs> I mean, because you've had forty years out of Egypt, and they've been in the wilderness. And I know some died off, but you had a bunch that came out of Egypt. Yep. I mean, even the law makes provision for the mixed multitude or the foreigner, which was the Egyptian yep. that came with them out of yep. Egypt. So you know it's a big group. I wonder how long that would have taken. <laughs> and each day the same thing. You know, maybe they started early in the morning and took till noon or whatever each day. But the last day, seven times. Maybe we need to do a study and figure out how long it would have took for them to walk around the walls. Because then you, they, on the last day they do it seven times. Yeah. So they have to do it get up really early. And we don't know if start. it was a, a perfect round right. circle yeah, yeah. of the circumference and, yeah. and the shape. And yeah. it's, it's, but uh, we know the city had walls. Yeah. So the we know they were walking walls. around all the walls yeah. uh, for sure. And uh, so after they walk around the walls, the, as it said, every part of the wall falls down except for the one portion where Rahab is at. It seems like, and uh, she saved because of her faith. Um, and that's where the scarlet thread is out of. It's kind of where people have taken that story um, and kind of, you know, talked about Jesus and he's the scarlet thread through all of Scripture. Yes. We find him throughout the scarlet all. thread and the blood of Christ yeah. through, the, through, the, through all the Scriptures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, heard, we've heard those truths. And... and then the last part, though, is that curse that's placed on Jericho. Ooh. You remember that part? Yeah. That curse. Oh, my. And... Uh, uh, you know, I mean, you look at it at the end of chapter 6, it says, At that time Joshua invoked this curse. He says, May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. 
So the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the land. So that was a curse. And I wonder how that has affected things down through the ages with Josh, with the city of Jericho after that. I don't know. Is Jericho still an inhabited city today? I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe we should have been more prepared to yeah, look that up. That would have been a good question. <laughs> that would have been a good good thing to see. Yeah, because I wonder, because some of those uh, places... But I think a couple of hundred years later, it was rebuilt. Yeah. Uh, but it never was the same as yeah. as, it, as it first was with, with Joshua here. You know it's never going to be the same no. after God dealt, dealt with it. That's, that's the truth yeah. as well. Um, but I think it's this incident um, that, like it says in verse 27... So the Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation spread throughout mm-hmm. the land. So not only are we talking about the Red Sea that God did, now we're talking about the Jordan River. Now we're talking about the land or the city of Jericho, and, and that information got out. But before they even get there, Rahab says, "We already know that, that we're already scared of y'all." Right. And then they get into the land now, and this happens, and now word is continuing to spread far and wide about this. But then you run into chapter 7. And chapter 7 is kind of a, put the brakes on for a minute here. Um, Israel violated the instructions, it says, chapter 7, verse 1. Things set apart for the Lord. So what they were supposed to do in Jericho was to get rid of everything, leave nothing behind. Utter destruction. Utter destruction as well. And, but Israel didn't follow through not complete obedience. Um, And it says that a man named Achan had stolen some of these things dedicated to the Lord. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son and gives... um, And by the way, Achan was from the tribe of Judah, where Jesus would come from. It's significant. And so Joshua uh, gives us that information, doesn't... uh, It tells us that information ahead of time. Course, and Joshua sends the men to go out and fight Ai, and then and they lose. And they're like, well, wait a minute, I thought God said he's going to be with us. And Joshua's upset, and he, you know, uh, it says he rips his, rips his garments and, and, and sackcloth and ashes. Lord, what have I done? I thought you said you'd be with me. Now you're not. What's going on right. here? He says, listen, it's not your fault. It's somebody in the camp has caused the problem. They're sin in the camp. They're, they're sin in the camp. <laughs> and Achan is the one that, that, that finds out about it. And, and, of course, this story is split up over this week and next week. You'll read the first part of the story this week, and you'll read the second part next week. Um, but you find that Achan and his whole family was punished for this sin. And, and, and just think about that, though. Um, it's unlikely that Achan could have taken all these things without his family knowing. So right. it seems like maybe they were complicit. Well, he hit them right there in his home. Yeah, exactly. How would you hide all those things without your family knowing? So we all look and say, oh, well, he, only Achan should be punished, but God punished his whole entire family. Well, there's probably a reason for that, because his family may have helped hide those things. Yes. And, and by the way, I mean, you think about Achan. He's obviously he's not thinking because sin is the one that's 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 thinking for him. He's not thinking himself. You got a Babylonian garment here. Are they? Is the rest of the people around your clan, your family, not going to know where you got it from? I mean, how are you going to hide a Babylonian garment? It's a pretty fancy garment. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, it's kind of like, hey, I've got this garment for sale. Where did you find that from? You know, that's none of our stuff. So they would have known, you know, and he's trying to hide it, but it would have easily been found out, easily been found out. At least I think it would have um, as far as that goes. But it just goes to show you that even something small like Achan and his sin can affect the entire body of Israelites, just like 
we say the same thing today in, in the church. You know, if one part of the body is out of sync, then the rest of the body yeah. is out of sync. Yes. If one person is not right with God in the body, then the rest of the body can suffer. Yeah, because he says, neither will I be with you anymore mm. unless wow. you destroy the accursed from among you. Wow. And so, yeah, I'm not going to be with you anymore. Yeah. Uh, you're going to be defeated. We just talked about a little bit about Joshua uh, briefly in the book of Acts when we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. It's the same kind of story. Very true. It means there's so many similarities Very there. Very true. They had to purge the church to maintain the purity, we'll say. Just like here, they had to purge the person yes. to maintain the purity in there. Because yes. it says, I won't be with you until you do this. And maybe that's a lesson for us. Maybe some of us are struggling and, uh, you know, we feel like God might not be answering our prayers prayers or hearing us or blessing us. Maybe it's because you have something in your life that's causing um, yeah. an obstacle. Maybe and it's something the in your same sin of, Achan, I mean, uh, of Adam. Yeah. It, it says, when I saw the beautiful Babylonian garment, you know, I saw, I coveted, yeah. and I took those yeah. three uh, Adam and Eve's sin. Yeah, yeah. You find so many of those similarities, um, even all the way back to Adam and Eve. Yeah. Um, well, um, unfortunately, our time is basically gone. We're trying to keep things a little bit shorter nowadays. Some of the other podcasts in the few weeks have gone a little bit longer. But when you start talking about the Bible and and, and uh, talking about these verses, you know, things pop up. And, you know, I had a whole uh, separate thing I was going to talk about today. I'll wait for next week to talk about that because I get a lot of questions about the conquest of Joshua and why did God say, you know, destroy this complete city utterly, burn it to the ground. And yet other cities, he didn't allow that to happen. But why these cities or, you know, and a lot of uh, atheists will ask questions about the morality of God. Or how was the conquest moral? I mean, God's telling you to go kill all these people. How is that fair? How is that even righteous or moral? And what does that do with the character of God and things like that? So maybe if I get a chance, we'll talk in the next few weeks about that um, as we kind of move through uh, the book of Joshua. But that's all that we have um, for this week. So stay tuned, and we'll continue our series next time.